It'll be a fun morning. How y'all doing this morning? I, uh, if I had a chance to meet you, my name's Joe, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Central City, and uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a joy to be with you, it really is. Uh, I'll do a quick poll here, uh, uh, just a, a few questions here real quick. How many of you guys are, uh, are, are really good at making uh, decisions? Um, you just, you know, like, you're like, you know what, like, just cut to the chase, make the decision, move on. How many of you, uh, raise your hand if you say you're pretty good at making decisions. All right, all right, uh, some, some spouses are pointing at each other, but how many of you guys uh, aren't good at making decisions? A lot of you raised your hand. Are you sure you want to raise your hand? Like, you don't want to think about it for a little bit and weigh your options? I'm, I'm one of those. Uh, I'm sometimes, and it's the stupidest stuff, I'm really bad at making decisions. Uh, the, the, the worst one in our family is, is where to eat. I don't know if this is the case for you guys, but this is the worst for us. It's where to eat. And I'm as much to blame as Alyssa. We both do this. But here's, here's one thing I know for sure when it comes to deciding where to eat. Um, I might not know where I want to eat, but I know exactly where I don't want to eat. And it's wherever she recommends. And she does the same thing to me. And so, like, I, I don't know what I want, but as soon as you offer something, I'm like, no, nah, I don't really want that. You know, but I don't have any other alternatives to offer. Um, and and that's, that's just me. So much time, so much energy goes into figuring out these sort of silly, stupid things, and I really struggle. Now, with decisions, especially ones like this, um, we ask ourselves, is it really worth thinking about this anymore, or can we just come to a conclusion and move on? Well, for most people, uh, most of the time, without even thinking about it, that's exactly what we do. For most people, we don't think about every little decision we make. We think for a little bit, and then we act. We jump to a conclusion, and we act on it. Um, Now, psychologists and sociologists and philosophers will call this uh, bounded rationality. Okay. I get it. This This is like a big term, and it's still early. And you're probably thinking, wow, the pastor's trying to look oppressive quoting, I'm not trying to be impressive, I just think this is helpful to our conversation today. So to make it like less impressive and more accessible to all of us, think about it like this. Um, imagine you learn this word uh, this way. You can go to the next slide. Yeah. Okay. So it's just the word of the day, all right? Uh, it's just uh, uh, you know, bounded rationality, or um, maybe like this, bounded rationality. Is that, is that more accessible for you all? Um, here's what it means. Bounded rationality is the idea that in decision-making, rationality of individuals is limited by the information they have, um, the cognitive limitations of their minds, and the finite amount of time they have to make a decision. Now, if that doesn't make sense, I'll read it again in my Muppet voice. Just kidding, I won't. But here's the thing. We only have so much information... And we're only able to think about it to a certain degree. And, so, and we, we only have so much time to think about it. So we have to eventually just make a decision. And so with everything, every decision is limited by all of these factors. Which means that, that every decision ultimately um, it, we make is going to be some sort of leap. It's going to be moving from considering it to deciding. Think about it this way. When they first developed computers... 
um, and they would develop a computer to find a, a, a pattern in a bunch of random numbers. They not only had to develop the computer to look for that pattern in a bunch of random numbers, but they had to develop it to know when to stop looking. Otherwise, it could look indefinitely for some sort of pattern. There would be a limit to its ability to process. And, and so there's a searching for something, but there would be limits. And, and we look for this um, uh, uh, long, and then we consider our options, and then we, we jump to a conclusion. And friends, this sums up everything. Every decision we make is limited to the information we have, the ability we have to reason, and the amount of time that we have left, all of which is limited because we're human. So in every decision, we move from considering to deciding, and we jump from the possibilities, and we land somewhere as best we can. And moving from here to there is what we call faith. And whether you do this quickly or slowly, we eventually, and we do it all the time, we round up or down the evidence in front of us, and we come to a conclusion. And that conclusion, coming to that conclusion, is what we call faith. It's the movement from evidence to conclusion. And with bounded rationality, we had to jump, and that jump is faith. It's a, it's a leap of faith, so to speak. So in the New Testament, the Greek word for faith is pistis. Um, and it means faith or trust. But its root word is this Greek word, patho, which means to be persuaded. So to have faith, then, is to move from simply knowing about something to becoming persuaded, right? You're jumping to a conclusion. You've become convinced. You've considered it a limited amount of time, and you've become convinced. You're taking a leap from the evidence, and you're making some kind of decision about it. And as far as faith goes, we all have it. We do. Because we make conclusions all the time about this world, about ourselves, um, about politics, and ultimately even about God and everything else. We, we look at the world, and we consider our experiences and what we've learned, and we make conclusions. And these conclusions are faith. So the question I want to talk about today isn't so much whether you have faith. The question isn't whether you believe. The question is um, not necessarily what kind of conclusions you're making about the world, but, but what, what kind of conclusions? What, what do you believe? And what, what does that say about who you are? That's what I want to talk about today. So if you were here with us last week, we, uh, we were talking about how we're in a series right now called uh, Flip the Script. Um, and really, it's about how many churches, in, from my experience especially, tend to make people believe a certain way and and if you believe a certain way, then you can learn to believe a certain way. And if you believe the right way, then you can belong. And, and in this series, we're talking about what it means to flip the script. So we're saying you can belong here with no limitations, first and foremost. You can belong. We talked about that last week. And in the context of belonging, you can learn about what it means to believe and, and then eventually what it means to behave. So belong, believe, and then behave in that order. And this is the pattern we see with Jesus. Jesus' disciples were invited to live with Jesus. And in the context of belonging to Jesus' group, they were invited to live with Jesus. They were then taught what it meant to believe. And so last week we talked about belong. This week we're going to talk about believe. 
So what does it mean to move from belonging to believing, for us to move from simply belonging to a community of faith to becoming a person of faith? And what exactly is it that we believe as Central City Church? What conclusions are we making about this world and specifically about Jesus? And why, even with the best evidence, is it still hard to believe? Because it is. I mean, it is. And we all struggle with it. And it's not just us. Even the first disciples who knew Jesus personally, like in the flesh. We say we know we have a personal relationship with Jesus. They had a really personal relationship with Jesus. And still, they struggled with believing. So if faith is drawing conclusions about the experiences that we've had, then the disciples should have it easy because Jesus' disciples, they witnessed Jesus do the impossible. They, they got to see him heal the sick, and they got to see him uh, give sight to the blind, and they got to see him help the, heal the leper, and they got to see him, someone who was lame start to walk, and he calmed storms, and he walked on water, and he cast out demons. They watched all of that and learned from the person who did it, and it's, so it's only natural that having seen all of that, that they would be able to make some really bold conclusions about who Jesus is. In other words, they, they would have no problem having faith. It would be able to draw these kind of conclusions about God and the world and suggest that God is able to do far more than we could ever think or imagine. And yet, they didn't. They were really bad at this. They, they, they didn't. They, they really struggled with believing in Jesus at all. And, and so when we look at Jesus' model for what it means to belong first and then to believe, I'm, I'm struck with this question. How did Jesus' disciples move from belonging to believing? And, and the simple answer is not well. Like they really struggled with this whole idea of what it means to believe. And in fact, you don't see Jesus getting frustrated with the disciples very often. But one of the ways he does get frustrated with the disciples is their lack of faith. So I want to look at that. Um, I want to look at a couple of passages where... Um, I just want to do a quick survey. I'm going to jump around a lot. Today, we're not looking at just one passage. We're looking at a couple. You can follow along on the YouVersion Bible app if you want to, or you can just follow along on the screen. Um, but you can also go to the YouVersion Bible app if you want to reference these later. So here's the first passage. We're just going to look at some passages where the disciples struggled with believing in Jesus and what Jesus had to say about it or do. So the first one is Matthew 17, verse 17. The disciples were trying to be Jesus to the world. They, they kind of sucked at it. It didn't go well. And so uh, they come back to Jesus, and this is what Jesus says to them. Verse 17, it says, You unbelieving and perverse generation... <laughs> So nice of you, Jesus. He says, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? This is what he's telling his disciples. You can sense how frustrated he is. He says, how long am I going to have to be with you? And the answer is about three years. I know he wasn't looking for an answer to that question, but about three years. And for those entire three years, this becomes one of the major issues with the disciples. In fact, in five different times in the gospel of Matthew alone, Jesus looks at his disciples and he uses this phrase. It's just like it became like his motherly phrase where he just used it over and over again. He referred to his disciples as, oh, you of little faith. He looks at them. In fact, one time um, they were there and they were um, uh, just worried about their basic needs being met. And Jesus looks at them and he says, oh, you of little faith. Another time they're caught in a storm and they're afraid they're going to die. They're afraid they're going to drown. They're, they're freaked out, which I would be as well. But Jesus, he wakes up and he looks at them and he says what? Oh, you have little faith. 
Another time, they have to feed a bunch of people, a lot more people than this, 5,000 people. They don't know how they're going to feed them. They don't know where they're going to find the food. They're, they're stressed. They're worried about it. And Jesus looks at them, and what does he say? He says, oh, you of little faith. Over and over again, Jesus calls his disciples out for their lack of faith. He, he almost scolds it. And so if, if I guess they kind of picked up on the hints. And so one time they actually asked Jesus for faith. Luke 17, 5, it says this. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Give us more faith. We need more to do what you're trying to tell us to do. We need more faith if we're going to do it. And, but it, what I love is Jesus' response. And, and I think this is actually profound. So we're going to sit with this one for just a second. They want more faith, but this is what Jesus says. He says, he replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. It's like, he's like, you're asking for more faith. And Jesus is like, well, if you just had a tiny little minuscule amount of faith in the right stuff, nothing would be impossible. They're like, increase our faith, Jesus. And he's like, no. You don't need more of that kind of faith. Because we all have faith. We're all believing certain things about the world and about God. And he says, no, you don't need more of that kind of faith. You just need a tiny, just a little bit of faith in a really big God. If you believe in a God who doesn't really do anything, then God isn't really going to do anything. But if you're willing to partner with God, and by believing in a God who could do far more than you could ever imagine, then you'll get to see what's possible. In other words, a, a tiny bit of faith in a big God can do far more than a whole lot of faith in a tiny one. Because it's really not about the faith. It's about the object of the faith. And that object was meant to be God through the person of Jesus Christ. And yet, even the disciples, they struggled to understand this. They struggled to understand just who Jesus was. They struggled to draw the right conclusions about Jesus. For them, they preferred him maybe to be a teacher or a rabbi, or even at one point they preferred him to be some sort of revolutionary Jewish leader. But Savior and God? Even the disciples had a hard time grasping this, making that kind of conclusion about who Jesus was. Even after the greatest miracle, some still weren't sure that Jesus was God. So Jesus died and then he rose again. As the story goes, and he was dead three days, and later he came alive again all on his own. And in many ways, that's the crux of our faith. If there's no resurrection, then we just stop pretending. We need to move on. But um, so is there a resurrection? Well, some people don't believe there was. In fact, one of the disciples falls into that category. After they had seen everything that Jesus had done, this one disciple still wasn't sure. His name was Thomas. He's one of the 12, and he wanted to see it for himself. He says, if I could see it for myself, then I'd believe. John 20, 25. Unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side where it was cut, I will not believe. He's like, I gotta see it for myself or I won't believe. But it doesn't stop there. Even at the end of their three-year internship with Jesus, and Jesus was commissioning them, sending them, and he's going to give his big commissions, you know, his big, his big speech, and he's going to send them out to be disciples in the world. They gathered together, and this is what it says in Matthew 28, 12. It says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. From the beginning of Jesus' ministry all the way to the end, 
they still had their doubts. Not all the same doubts and not all at the same time and not all in the same way, but they had doubts and they just weren't sure. And those were the 12, the 12 disciples that would become the church that we're a part of 2,000 years later. After all they'd seen, they still struggled to arrive to a conclusion that God in the flesh, that Jesus was God in the flesh. So I say that to all, all that to say this. If you've ever struggled to believe Jesus was anything more than a good teacher or some sort of powerful leader or some sort of, you know, just a historical figure, if you ever struggled to really believe in Jesus, you are in good company. Because the first disciples had their doubts too. But after that, two things became, two things remained. So if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write this down. Here are the two things. After all of their doubts, after all of their lack of faith, after they, they even misplaced their faith at times, two things remained. And here's the first one. They never got kicked out. Think about that. The entire time they're with Jesus, he calls them out. He says, you're an unbelieving generation, and, and oh, you have little faith, and they doubted, and he, I got to see it for myself. And even with all of that, you never see Jesus kicking them out and saying, well, if you just had enough faith, you know, you could have been a part of this community. It never happened. Their doubts did not disqualify them from being disciples. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. Jesus didn't let them off the hook either. He gives them a hard time about it i mean he really challenges them and almost to the point where i'm like i always think of jesus i mean i i personally think of jesus as like a generally nice guy i mean i just do and he's kind of being a mean almost you know he's like oh you little faith like like multiple times telling them that and like you unbelieving and perverse generation and like he's he's being really hard on them so here at central city church when we talk about what it means to believe, here's the two things I hope to be true. One, regardless of what you believe, regardless of what doubts you have, or regardless of what questions you have, or whether you've arrived to any conclusion about God at all, you're welcome here. It's not going to disqualify you. you. You can be a part. But the second thing that I also want to be true is, I'm going to give you a really hard time about it. <laughs> like, I want to challenge you, and I want you to challenge me too. I, I want to wrestle with this, and I want it to be something, because, because we have to eventually make a decision. We only have so much time, and we only have so much that we can think about, and we can only have so much that we can reason, and we only have so much evidence. Like, we eventually have to come to some sort of conclusion, and we have to live out of that conclusion, and I want to challenge you to do that. So I remember when I had to make my first conclusion about Jesus. And the first time is, is, I think, always the most profound. I've, I've since then constantly had to rework my understanding of God. Not that God has changed, but God is just so much bigger than I can understand. And so my conclusions about God are constantly shifting. And so my faith is constantly growing. But I remember that first time where I had to make a significant conclusion about God. I was, uh, I was younger, and um, when I was younger, I, I, I kind of thought I knew what it meant to be a Christian. I, I, for me, it meant doing the right thing. And, uh, um, uh, you know, standing up for the right stuff and being really judgmental to the, everyone who wasn't doing those two things. And that's just what it meant for me to be a Christian. And then something happened. My brother, um, and I've shared this story before and I'll share it again, but my brother uh, didn't do any of those things right. 
and ended up in prison because of it. But in prison, he arrived at a conclusion about God in his prison cell. He chose to believe in God, and he, he accepted grace, and he accepted forgiveness, and he came out of prison nine months later, and he was a completely different in, individual. And, and watching him live this grace-filled, courageous, risk-taking, this faith-filled life really challenged me. And if only out of a sake of competition, because he's my brother, I was like, I got to be a better Christian. Like, I'm missing something. And so I started reading scripture. And I started thinking about what, it, what does it really mean to believe in God? And what does it really mean to have faith? And if I believe, what do I believe? And, and, and who do I believe? And these questions led me to a moment of decision. I, I remember it to this day. I was on vacation with my family. My family was down in the living room, probably planning the activities for the rest of the day. And I was up in our bedroom. And I, it was this cottage, and you know, I had that sort of old cottage smell where the linen was left on the be- bed for too long, you know, like Goodwill or something, you know. Like, and the light was coming through the room. I remember it. And I, and I found myself having to make a decision, and, and it, was, it was resting in this particular question. I, I had the evidence. I had read, and I had studied, and I had seen, and I had experienced, and I knew enough to make a decision, but I had to decide either God is real, and I should stop living like he isn't, or God isn't real, and if that's the case, I should really stop pretending like he is. I mean, either he's real, and it deserves everything I have, or it's all fake, and it's made up, and it's silly, and I can do something so much better with my life, and probably get paid a lot more. Like, either God is real and active and worth it, or I should just give up. And I remember when that choice was first posed to me. I remember the silence that sat in my soul. And there was this moment where I felt there was two roads I could go down. And it it was a real moment for me. This wasn't just sort of like some hypothetical situation. I was really, I was either going to head down towards a life with God or I wasn't. And and I had had done my research. I had read. I had had listened. I had experienced. And I was either going to take the leap of faith and make a a bold conclusion about who God is, or I wasn't, and, and something else entirely with my life, but I would go in a completely different direction. And in that stillness, something rose up inside of me, and I said, considering the evidence, considering my experience, considering what I've read, what I've seen God do in other people's lives, considering what I've read about Christianity and what I've experienced and considering what I've wrestled with and considering what I need because I knew deep down inside I kind of needed God. I said to myself, and I guess I was saying to God, but I was saying to myself, I said, I think this is real. I choose God. And uh, friends, at that moment, something really strange happened. I, 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 for whatever reason, I fell to the ground on my knees and I turned my life over to God. Just giving God everything I have. And, and I can't explain it very well, but I felt God's presence there. And I felt God come down and sort of embrace me and welcome me in. And my life has literally never been the same. 
And I would say that ever since then, as I continue to make bold conclusions about God choosing to believe, all of my best decisions have been those types of decisions. Friends, we are only able to think about this for so much. We only have so much time, and, and we're, we're only given so much information to go on. Eventually, we just have to make a, some kind of conclusion. So I ask you, do you have enough to make a conclusion about God? And if not, what do you need? Can we sit down and can we talk about it? Are you, are you interested in being in a small group or would a class be helpful? How, how can we help? What more experience or information do you need? Because that's the beautiful thing about belong, becoming for believe. You can hang out here as long as you want. And the hope is, this is how we hope it'll work, you'll get to see God work in other people's lives. And that'll give you more experiences, more evidence that you can then use to make some sort of conclusion about who God is. So what do you need to make a conclusion about God? Or what do you need to make a new conclusion about God? Maybe you've already decided it's not for you. Do you have enough already? If so, why not take the leap? Now, I know um, for some of you, like, I've been there, done that, and I'm, I'm, I'm working through it. For others, you're really going to wrestle with this, and I get that. Moving from not being sure about who God is to really coming to a bold conclusion that there is a God, and that God wants to know me and is able to work in my life and in this world, that's a shift. That's a, that's a game changer. And for some, it's a, it's a hard conclusion to come by. It's, it's, for some, it's too far of a leap. And, and I, I'll be honest, it is a leap. It really is. It's one I think that's worth making. It's changed my life. And uh, I think, but it's a leap. <laughs> and, and Jesus knows it's a leap. I mean, the disciples, they were able to watch Jesus firsthand and still they doubted. They still wrestled with it. And yet he still loved them. How much more are we going to wrestle with it? And how much more is Jesus still going to love us in the midst of our questions and our doubts and our wrestling? In fact, this one time when, Jesus, when Thomas doubted, and he insisted on seeing Jesus for himself. Well, he did. He saw Jesus. He touched the nail-scarred hands. And, and afterwards, he said, okay, I believe. And so as soon as he sees Jesus and he touches his nail-scarred hands, he immediately came to this conclusion, I believe. And, and he did. He saw for himself. But then right after that, Jesus says something to Thomas. But I think he was actually saying it for us. It was to Thomas, but it was for us. John twenty twenty nine. he says this. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Like, Jesus names it. He names the reality that this is, like, Thomas, this was hard for you, and I'm, like, standing right here. Can you imagine how hard it's going to be for everyone else? Let's be honest about that. And so if that's you, if you're like, man, this is hard. I'm not sure I can take the leap. Know this. Moments after Thomas chose to believe in Jesus, Jesus was thinking about someone like you and knew that it would be a leap and it would be a struggle. Which I think means there's a special grace, a special blessing for you. And that in that, Jesus is able to meet you. There's a story in the Gospels where Jesus tells a person that if he believes anything's possible, 
It's this dad who wanted to get his son healed. And he just says, well, if you believe, anything's possible. And, and this dad says, I believe. Help my unbelief. I love that. That's so honest, isn't it? I believe. Help my unbelief. Friends, I'd call that faith the size of a mustard seed, which I don't know if you must, mustard seeds are really small. I was actually going to have some today, and I ordered them Amazon Prime. And um, this is a side story. It, I got a notice. UPS wasn't going to leave them on my doorstep because I live in Franklinton. That's fair. And um, uh, then it turns out they have these drop-off zones, so I have to go to like some convenience store to pick it up, but not until Monday. So anyways, you don't get any mustard seeds. They're small, okay? And that... I believe, help my unbelief. That's a really tiny bit of faith. But here's the thing. Just a, just a little bit of faith in a real God will take you much further than some sort of bold and arrogant faith and something that's not even worth believing in. It's a tiny little bit of faith put in the right place can change everything. So I'm going to pray, and, and, and what I would like for you to do, I'm going to have the band come up, but I really want to encourage you um, to take some time. And, and whatever it is that you're wrestling with or not wrestling with, wherever you are with your walk with God, what would it mean to come to a place in your life to say, wow, what if, what if all this is real? What would that, what would that mean differently for you? If, if, this, if there really was a God who could do far more than you could ever think or imagine, what would it look like to just have a tiny bit of faith pointed in that direction? Let's pray. God, we come before you. We trust that you're able to work in mysterious ways. And that even here right now, there might be somebody who's really wrestling with what it means to believe or what it means to trust you. And Lord, maybe, it's, maybe our problem isn't even that, yeah, we believe in you, but we just, um, we're not sure we trust you. But we just ask that you would help us, that you would stir within our hearts, that you would challenge us, that you would speak to us if we've just played the game and um, that you would come and call us out. I pray, Lord, that even in these moments, in these last moments together, as well as as we go into the rest of our day and the rest of our week, that, that you would help us have those moments of decision. And that you'd enable us through your Holy Spirit and through any means necessary to just make the right choice. And to, that we could meet you in a profound way. We thank you for your son who made a way showed us what it means to believe and showed us what it means to follow after you. It's in your son's name we pray.